bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them but the disciples rebuked them and when Jesus saw this he was indignant and he said to them let the little children come to me do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these I tell you the truth Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he put his hands on them and he blessed them. And as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these have I kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Follow this the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God and the disciples were amazed at his words but Jesus said again children how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And Peter said to him, well, we've left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and with them, persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last first. Jesus, we receive your word today. 
We open our hearts to have you speak to us. Come, Lord, and reveal yourself to us this day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. We welcome you, living word. Come and pierce our hearts, Lord. Dividing even the soul from the marrow, Lord. Even by the, the marrow from the bone and getting right down into the very soul of who we are, God. The very core of our being. Come, speak, transform us. Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. This morning we continue a study that we've, a journey we've been on for the last uh, seven weeks or so here. Well, we're not on the memorial lilies. Uh, Can we get somewhere to the sermon? Okay, I can do that, I guess. Sure, there we go. All right. There we are. All right, I think. All right. We're in a study called Radical Shift. I don't know where the... There we are. All right. Coming back to the core of the gospel. So we've been looking here together in the Gospel of Mark, and I want to invite you to turn there with me this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you, would you please utilize the Bible located in the chair rack right in front of you? Turn to right around page 715. We began this study back at the end of Mark chapter 8, and it was sort of a transitional and very significant moment in the life of Jesus with his disciples and a very significant turning point in the gospel. Where Peter has a revelation of who Jesus is, recognizes that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, and then promptly puts his foot deeply down his throat. When he doesn't get it, what it really means for Jesus to be the Messiah and specifically the death that Jesus would have to endure to complete and fulfill the mission that he was sent to earth by the Father to do. And then we've walked through since there, the disciples, as they're on the road to Jerusalem and they are getting closer each week of our study here. They're on that path, getting closer and closer to Jerusalem. And as they are traveling, Jesus is seeking to embed into the very core of His disciples some essential truths about even what it means to be a disciple. 
And as he's doing it with his disciples, he's also been doing that with us. And so we've entitled this message or this series of messages, Radical Shift. Radical being a returning to the root, going to foundations, and shift meaning a dislodging and a repositioning. So what God is intending to do in us, individually and corporately at this time, is He is intending to bring us into a alignment with His heart and purposes by doing a radical shift down in the foundations, down in the roots of our lives. At the end of the message this morning, I'll remind you of the shifts that we have already been invited to take as well as the shift I believe the Lord is inviting us to take this morning. So, this morning, shift number six, I've entitled the message, Like a Child, starting there with the beginning of our passage today in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Tom noted earlier the children coming to the altar this morning. And, you know, not only is that a good thing, but this morning a very appropriate thing. As we're talking about Jesus welcoming the children. Let's come back and read that one more time. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them and this was more than, I mean, the, this, this touch was connected very specifically to the biblical concept of blessing. And those of you who have been a part of the congregation and when we, when we take children in our arms and we dedicate them to the Lord and we bless them, I always try to remember to remind you that when we are blessing a child and when Jesus is taking these children in his arms and he's blessing them, he's doing more than something sort of, you know, just kind of a nice gesture so that he can kind of wish good thoughts for them. That's not what blessing is. Blessing is not wishing good thoughts. Blessing, biblically, is an impartation It's an impartation of life. And it's an impartation of that which will be needed for that child, that individual, whatever age children we are. It is the impartation that is necessary to fulfill the purposes of God in our lives. And so when Jesus comes and He touches them, there is a a meaningful touch. There is spoken word. That word speaks of a destiny and of a calling. When these children were coming into Jesus' arms, He was speaking life into them as He touched them. Precisely what He wants to do with each of our lives wants to bless, to impart to us his life. Think about Jesus. I've mentioned this before. Let me remind you again. If you think about Jesus and you could only say one thing about who he is, 
just one part of his character, what would you say? I know what I would say. What I would say is that Jesus is life-giving. Wherever he went, he imparted life, right? Everything he touched became alive. Everything was life-giving. He brought life. Now the disciples, following in the cultural tradition in which they were a part, began to rebuke It doesn't say them. We don't know whether they were rebuking the parents or the children. But given in some of the other contexts that probably the children that were being brought were very small, probably they were rebuking the parents. But they might have been rebuking even some of the older children who were bringing their brothers and sisters. Hey, come on. (laughs) Grabbing them. Because you know what? Children had no value in that culture and in that time. They were considered simply, um, you know, sort of things. (laughs) Almost like slaves who were considered property. They were were not yet fully human. Hmm. Golly, it doesn't sound like anything today. Okay, anyway. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And this is... This is just, the the word here is really strong. This is like, you just do not want to have Jesus indignant with you. This means he is inflamed with righteous anger. He's Here, once again, God bless the disciples. God bless us. God help us and have mercy. They don't get it. And he said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. He he says it in the positive and in the negative. He says, Let them come, don't hinder them. Bring them on. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and he blessed them. I want to ask a simple question here. And we could, there's probably more answers to this than what I'm giving you this morning. But what are the qualities of childlikeness? If we want to enter the kingdom of God, which we do, what are the qualities of childlikeness? By the way, please note that there is a very significant difference between childlikeness and childishness. We want to encourage, even within our own children and within ourselves, a childlikeness. But we do not want to encourage a childishness. You know, you only young once, but you can be immature forever. But that's not what we're talking about. God wants us to mature, to grow. 
but to guard and maintain a childlikeness. So what does that look like? Well, first of all, I think it looks like a tenderheartedness. Remember the context last week? Jesus is teaching there and he says, it was because of your what? Hardness of heart, the hard-heartedness. And now he has this perfect illustration that he brings to them. Here's what, it, here's what it looks like if you want to welcome the kingdom of God. Not a hard-heartedness, but a tender-heartedness. Peter, writing about this, Peter knew a little bit about hard-heartedness. And certainly hard-headedness. But he writes, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety because on Him because He cares for you. That posture of humility, it's not a, a, a wormness. I'm nothing. It's a proper understanding of our powerlessness and our need for Him. Those of you that have little children or have been around little children, you know, one of my favorite things, you know, I, I don't know what your kids or how your kids do it when they're real little. My little ones would come up. And they would just hold up their arms and they'd say, and I love this, they'd, they'd always say it this way, they'd always say, hold you. Hold you. They really want, you know, they're really saying hold me, but they're saying hold you. That's that posture of tenderheartedness. Jesus, hold you. Hold me. Cast all my anxiety upon him, for he cares for me. That's that posture of humility that says, like we've been hearing all morning, that God will care for us. My kids don't worry whether they'll be fed because they know that our responsibility as their parents is to feed them. God's responsibility. He cares for us when we cast all our anxiety. We can know that He cares for us. A teachability. Teachability. Here's Jesus is really hammering onto this one, particularly with the disciples, because sometimes they don't appear to be all that teachable, do they? They're kind of, again, hard headed. Stubborn, mulish, kind of like me <laughs> and you. But I love what Jesus tells them here in John 14. He says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me.
One of the things about entering into the kingdom and the fullness of the kingdom and fullness of relationship with God is not so much that you have, again, all the answers, but that you come to Him with a teachable heart and with the questions on your heart and bring them to Him and learn from Him and grow and listen and do what He says. That's what obedience is all about. The older we get, the challenge becomes we can get sort of fossilized into our ruts of thinking and acting, our ways of perceiving. Has that happened to anybody else or is it just me? Okay? You get old, you know, it just sort of hardens. Okay? God give us teachable hearts. And that's why I went and pursued, you know, I'm not pursuing this doctorate because I need to have letters after my name. Though anytime you want to start calling me Reverend Doctor, that'd be just fine. Um, but, or St. James the Divine, either, either works, but, yeah, right. Not so much. But, I went back to school to do this because I recognized that I was at a stage in life where it would be very easy for me to just move into a rut and coast. And God said, not so much. So that's why. To maintain that heart of teachability throughout our lives. Transparency. With kids, what you see is what you get. I mean, they're pretty much right there. (laughs) But we are invited into, in childlikeness, a transparency as well. Paul puts it like this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away, but their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains. When the old covenant is read, it hasn't been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone, say whenever, Whenever. say anyone, That means anytime, anybody. Whenever anybody, anytime, turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Think about that for a moment. That happens for us at the point of salvation when we surrender our life to Christ. It happens to us and can on a continual basis. Anytime anybody turns to the Lord, the veils of self-sufficiency, the veils of woundedness, the veil of sinfulness, the veils of brokenness, the veils of hard-heartedness. 
When we turn to the Lord and repent before Him, when we say, Jesus, I need You, whenever we turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the more we turn to the Lord, the more we are transformed into His likeness. Do you get this? This is really good news. And we become more and more and more transparent. We become more genuine and pure. We become more fully who He's created us to be. Remember I said this a few weeks ago. The goal of the Christian life is not becoming more pious. It's becoming more real. He wants us to become more real. As He's created us. This is good stuff. Grab hold. And it's exactly what He wants to do in your life and mine. That we would become more real. More genuine. More pure. More transparent. Less fails. Now this is directly connected to our next passage. As Jesus started on his way, verse 17, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Now did you catch that? A man ran up. Now, we know from all of the different passages that in the Gospels, all the Synoptic Gospels use this particular, uh, or share this particular passage and this particular story in in Jesus' life here. And so we know that he's rich, we know that he's young, and we know that he's a ruler, that he has... So he's a rich, young ruler. And we know that it would be entirely and completely out of his cultural custom and norm and everything else for him. And he comes running up much like one of the children that we've just been talking about. He runs up and he falls down on his knees before Jesus. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit? And he uses a legal term there. What do I do to, to, to possess? What must I do What do I got to do to possess eternal life? Now Jesus 
starts back with him. Notice Jesus does this all the time. He starts with a question again. Well, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? He's trying to penetrate through something here. I mean, first of all, for the rich young ruler to, to even use that, I mean, it, would, it, would, it was totally non-protocol for him to call, to call any teacher or rabbi good. That would be wrong to do. But Jesus is not just calling him on protocol here, and neither is Jesus rejecting what he's saying. Jesus isn't saying, I'm not good. But what he's trying to do is break open his heart and say, well, who is good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God. Only God is good. Because the rich young ruler, like most of us, is operating under the assumption that through human effort, we can be good enough or we can be a good person. And he's seen what Jesus has done, perhaps, heard about him and says, you're good. But Jesus is also here, get what Jesus is saying, only God is good. And this is one of his implicit ways of saying, you're right, I am good. I'm good because I'm God. Some quick scriptures. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. The Lord is good. A refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So he starts by establishing something here that we need to have established in our hearts and minds. Only God is good. Everything else and all of that we are, compared to God, we are not good. It's like the little boy who, who took it, you know, one of those, those uh, measuring how tall you are, you know, one of those little banners that has the inches on it and all that sort of stuff. And he, you know, he, he stuck it about right here at this height, you know. And he said... You know, look, Mommy, I'm five feet tall. (laughs) What's your measuring implement? Scripture says only God is good. Only God is good. So, he goes on, verse 19. Now, this is really interesting. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Now, here we are back to the rich young ruler's question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments perfectly. Keep the commandments perfectly. Now, what are those commandments? Remember, there are ten of them. 
two tablets. On one are the commandments that relate to our relationship with God. Exodus 20, you can read them more fully there. Have no other gods, no idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. And remember the Sabbath. These are the vertical commandments. The horizontal commandments, how we are to live with one another, are on the second tablet. Honor your parents, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, and do not covet. Now here's what's interesting. If you go into the text, you're going to notice something. Jesus lists all the commandments as it relates towards man, with the exception of one. And in Luke, that's very clear because Jesus lists five through nine and doesn't say, do not covet. In this, here in Mark, Jesus also gives a commandment that's out of Deuteronomy. It's not one of the ten commandments on the two tablets, but it's a commandment of the Lord, and that is, do not defraud. Now remember that because we're talking about a rich, young ruler. And he says back to Jesus in verse 20, Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Probably talking about since his time of coming of age when he was 12, 13. All of these commandments he has obeyed, he has done. Jesus, and I love, I just, this is so powerful. Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's exactly what Jesus does to you today. Jesus looks at you and he loves you. And he says, one thing you lack. He's got everything that earth would say is, he's blessed. He's got it all. He's got position. He's got power. He's got wealth. He's got possessions. He's got everything. Must have his health. He's running up to Jesus. He's got everything. One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Here's what Jesus does. This is what he does. This is what he's going to do. This is what he continually does to me and to you and to all of us. Out of his love for us, He says, one thing you lack. There's one thing missing. See, Jesus went right at the juggler, right to the core. Because the issue was, this rich young ruler most likely had covetousness in his heart. 
perhaps had gotten his wealth by defrauding. Jesus says, I want you to unencumber yourself from all of this. So that your heart will be free to follow me. Because then you will have treasure in heaven. Something far more significant and of greater value than whatever it is you're holding on to here and now. And while we may or may not be wealthy, though, because we live in America, technically, we're all wealthy. We're all wealthy. We're all wealthy in a variety of ways and in a variety of things. And what is it? What would Jesus say to you today? One thing you lack. So, I would like to take a poll this morning. How many of you have kept all of the Ten Commandments perfectly throughout your life? Because, you know, that's what you've got to do to inherit eternal life. So, anybody done that? Boy, I'm not seeing many hands this morning. Come on. I want to see those hands. Anybody done that? So, what do they have to do to be saved? The disciples are saying... How hard at this, well, first of all, at this, verse 22, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Please notice something here. Jesus loved him, spoke into his life, and with open hands let him decide how he would respond. You and I, I we can't argue anybody into the kingdom. We can't, we can't convict anybody into the kingdom. We can't manipulate anybody into the kingdom. We're responsible to speak the truth in love with open hands and some will go away sad. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. The disciples were amazed at his words. Why? Because in their cultural understanding, wealth was a sign of blessedness. It was a sign of God's favor. This guy's got all the goods and he's not good enough. He's not going to make it. Then who can? Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for the camel, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Those who receive the grace of Jesus Christ through faith. Therefore, no one, no one, say no one. one. Say no one. one. Not me, not you. Nobody will be declared righteousness in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The weight of the law reminds us that we are not good enough. 
But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The only way to inherit eternal life is through receiving the grace of Jesus Christ through faith. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You see, that's, again, the radical difference between Christianity and every other world religion. Because every other religion, whether you're, or no religion at all, all begins with us. Christianity all begins with Him. Faith is our response to His grace extended to us. It's not what we can do to eternal, to inherit eternal life through our goodness because we'll never be good enough. But His grace has made it possible. So, what's it going to cost? Well, it's going to cost everything. <laughs> it's going to co- cost your pride. It's going to cost your self-sufficiency. It's going to cost your independence. Revelation 3. You say, I'm rich, and I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. This is it, people. Divest yourself of dependence on your own resources and invest yourself in dependence on Jesus. I want to tell you a story first before I get to that. Uh, a few weeks ago, not really all that long ago at all, the night before um, I was going to be presenting my oral defense for my um, doctoral dissertation, I was at home and I was, you know, um, anxiously looking through my dissertation again. Can you turn on that fan again for a minute? (laughs) Hit the on, just on, thanks. Anxiously looking through my dissertation so I'd have it all together, you know. And... uh, the phone rang and Annette picked it up and heard her talking and then she said, sure, he's here. 
He'll be right over. And our neighbor across the street who was on home hospice had fallen and couldn't get up. And um, he had fallen right... He was going to the, to the bathroom, headed, headed to the bathroom, but he'd fallen, and right next to the bathroom were a set of steps. And so he'd fallen, and it, they'd been able to help him sort of just sit down rather than fall, fall. So he wasn't hurt, but he couldn't get up. So he was just sitting here, unable to get up. So I came over and... Um, to the house and right away a little more important than dissertation you know I just got behind him and I helped him and we just got him up on a couple of stairs so that he was more angled so that we could eventually get him all the way up and so he was sitting here Joel come here for a minute would you and um, just sit right, right on this step, if you would. And I was sitting on the step right behind him, and I just, I just put my hands on his back, and and I just said, "How you doing?" I'm, so well, it's been a hard winter. I've been in and out of the hospital a lot. And I said, "Yeah, I know. It's been hard." So, but how are you doing emotionally and spiritually? He knew he was dying. This is a hard man. This is a man who's lived life hard. And a hard guy. Big, tough guy. But I just sat there. He said, well, you know, it's... He said, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, but he said, I'm so confused. I don't, he said, I just have all of these questions and I don't know and I keep trying to figure it out and I just can't figure it out. And I said, I know just how you feel. So the more I try to figure it out, the harder it is. And I just get more confused. But I said, you know what? I think that's why Jesus said, come to me like a child. Because it's actually really simple. Jesus loves us. And he just invites us to surrender to his love. And that's why he went to the cross. And that's why he died. Because he loves us and invites us to come simple to him. I said, would it be okay if I prayed with you? He said, yeah. So we prayed. I prayed for him. I didn't go through a prayer of salvation, formula prayer kind of thing. I just prayed. 
And then I just got behind him and I helped him up. And I walked him over. Thanks. And just helped him get into his bed. The peace and presence of God was so powerful in that house. And that just told me this morning when she got to church that our next-door neighbor told her that he passed away in his sleep last night. I don't know what he decided, but I know Jesus invited There was an open heart to hear. Core shift number one, surrender. Core shift number two, obedience. Core shift number three, dependence. Core shift number four, relinquishment. Core shift number five, fidelity. This morning, if we're going to come to him like a child, the core shift that he invites us into is simple trust. We can get all lost in our head. We can get all lost in our hands. He's talking to our heart and saying, come. And simple trust today. And I don't mean this to sound manipulative, and I know at this point it can sound like that because of, you know, just the, the nature of the message and the story I just told. But it's just an actual reality is we don't know how long any of us have to physically live on this earth. We don't know. When anybody, anytime, turns to the Lord and says, hold you, hold me. When I had my hands on the back of my older neighbor sharing the love of Jesus, I felt the hands of the Lord on mine and on his. And I went away saying, that's just how Jesus loves me. I mean, my love for him at that point was nothing I could, it wasn't me. It's the love of God. It's his love for you today. He just wants to hold you. If the worship team would come, please. I'm going to give a benediction in just a moment, but I would like to welcome a response today. If you are here this morning if you could just close your eyes for a moment. If you're here this morning and the Spirit of God has been speaking to your
two different invitations I want to give. The first is, if you've never responded to his call to come to me in salvation and just to receive Christ into your life, to like a child, to cast your cares upon him and give your heart to him, if you'd like to do that today, and you've never done that, would you just hold up your hand and let me see? If you've never made that decision, you're not clear that you've ever made that, but you'd like to this morning. Would you hold up your hand? Is there anybody this morning? If you're reluctant to hold up your hand and you want to talk to me after the service, please come do so. I would love to talk with you and pray with you. Maybe you're here this morning. It's the second invitation. See, Jesus always says, come to me, and then he says, come after me. And then he says, come with me. Maybe some other things have begun to sort of entangle in your mind or in your life or in your heart. and Maybe there's some things that you just haven't been able to let go of in simple trust. And this morning you hear him saying, just trust me. Come. For the Lord is good. Give thanks. For He is good and His love endures forever. Taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for His sheep. As sheep of the Lord this morning, come to the Shepherd today and bring everything to Him. Bring everything to Him today. What do you lack today? For most of us, we lack trust in some area of our life. And he's saying, bring it to me today. Come to me, come to me, come to me. So this morning, if you're weak, weary, if you've been wandering away, come today. Let them come. So we come to you again today and afresh. We pray that you will continue to work in our hearts, your purpose, your life, your love, your fullness. now may the immeasurable love of God the Father and the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son and the inexhaustible strength, power and love and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours sent to declare the good news and make disciples of all nations may the banner of his favor and blessing be over you and yours in Jesus name